You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. I love y'all. Y'all know that? I love you. I'm glad you're here. Um, there's a lot going on around here. I'm looking forward to the breakfast next week. I'm just telling you, when you, men, if you've never been to a men's breakfast, it's, it's a little slice of the heaven of food that we're going to eat. Biscuits, gravy. I have no idea what's going to be there, but we ain't leaving hungry. I can guarantee that. Um, one of the things that we we try to do often is uh, update you on our building project and what's going on. And if you don't, if you haven't noticed, we started construction, um, but uh, we're 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 into some exciting times. And I get to stand before you and say something really cool. Most pastors don't get to say this. This is a dream come true for any pastor in America. We are on budget with money and time. I mean, can you believe that? That is a miracle. <laughs> you, you know that's the Lord right there. Um, but uh, I want to give you some updates and let you know about some things coming up because this is a, there's some things that we've made decisions to do that are exciting upgrades. Um, and so uh, over the last couple of weeks, uh, the team has been meeting with our audio, video, and lighting contractor. And so uh, the, the new uh, commons area that's going to be on the south side will look like this. But what's exciting is uh, they're, they're actually setting it up to where it can be its own kind of room, own environment. So what that means is it'll have a, an easy sound system in it. So like on, off, up and down on the volume. So like I could do it. Um, but things like men's breakfast and some women's events and different events that could go on out there, there'll be a little sound system set up, um, built in, and then there's going to be two giant TVs um, that'll give us the opportunity to do some overflow, not for you guys, but the 10 o'clock service, because they won't listen to me and say, go to Saturday, go to 8.30, come to 11.30, and they're like, nope, we're stuck. And so um, I'll be like, well, if that's what you want to do, you'll be stuck in the lobby some too on some overflow if you don't get here in time. Um, and so somebody did ask me last night. They were, they were worried. They said, well, when you say overflow and you're going to have that because we're upgrading some camera stuff and overflow out there. Oh, and moms. And if you're thinking about having a baby, now's a good time because we're having a nursing mother's room. Um, so I know some of y'all been wanting that and needing that. And so, so we gotcha, we gotcha. Um, you don't have to go in and do the little curtain thing in the, in the anyway, never mind. Um, what was I saying? TVs, yeah, overflow. Oh, so they were worried that when I said that, that we, weren't, we were gonna get rid of some services. And specifically, like, are you gonna get rid of Saturday? I was like, we're not getting rid of Saturday. We're not getting rid of any services. We, we have to have all four services a weekend, which is crazy. And, and I hear, I've got, I meet with pastors all the time. They're like, I can't believe you're preaching four services a weekend. I said, look, as long as people's lives are being changed and people getting saved, I'll preach seven, I'll preach 10, I'll preach whatever I got, and I'll just sleep all day on Monday. So I only have, I only have a limited time. And so I'm a, I, when I get to heaven, I'll be worn out, man. I'll be used up, worn out, and as many people coming with me as possible. Not, not when I go, but just, you know, when you get there. So that sounds really bad, <laughs> taking as many with me. Oh, wow. Anyway, some major updates that we're going to do and upgrades. Um, we, we, we really been praying about a new roof for this part of the facility. Two years ago when we asked our contractors to price it out, now buckle your seatbelts when I give you this number, $250,000 for a roof. I mean, that is nuts. I said, that you smoking crack? Go get a drug test. We're not doing that. Forget it. So we didn't do it. 
Well, I don't know how, I don't, I don't know what they did. Maybe they called in some favors, knocked some kneecaps. I don't know what they did, but they came back and said, we, we got an updated quote. I said, yeah, we'll see. $68,000. So they put in a brand new roof on this joker for $68,000. It's the standing seam commercial grade metal roof that is guaranteed not to leak for a year. Um, so... <laughs> You could have a submarine and put a cross on it and have a church in there, and it's going to leak. That's a tactic of the enemy. You know, he's like, I'm going to make every church building in the world leak water somewhere. Um, so anyway, uh, so a new roof is going over everything. We're also doing some parking upgrades. Um, this is, if you haven't seen the, the, the kind of overview of it, this is what it'll look like. So on the west side is, is our new children's rooms, youth rooms, some adult rooms, uh, our mother's room. Um, then the, the new commons on that area where you see that nice green on the left side where it looks like that would be a nice lawn. Well, we have a gravel lawn because uh, we needed some parking. And so one of the parking upgrades we're going to be able to do is they're going to they're gonna actually come in at the end of the project and they're going to grade that whole upper section to make it more level. And we're going to get rid of the asphalt ghetto ramps. Hey, praise God. And... Um, we're actually, they're going to come in and put like, we're going to put real concrete down. Um, it's going to look like, like it should be there. And then we're not going to do concrete parking on that piece. We're going to do what's called crushed asphalt. Um, we're going to do recycled asphalt where you can roll it out and make it smooth because eventually we'll come in and tear that up because Lord willing, we'll go to phase three, um, which allows us to add new worship center on the south side. And, um, uh, you know, all, everything where we're at will be children's area. And so y'all kids are growing so much that it's taken over all the adult space, which I'm okay with. And so we'll give all of this side of the facility to kids and youth, and then we'll have our side. And so that would be, that's kind of master plan, final phase. And if you notice, there's a lot of parking around that. So when we go phase three, we're going to have parking, concrete parking all the way down to the end of our property. We've got seven acres, so it will either be facility, um, a minimal amount of green space, and parking. Um, and so I'm excited about that. Thank you for being a part of that. Um, so many of you have been, been engaged. Yeah. Um, so many of you have made commitments to the One Church Initiative where it's not just increasing ministry space. It's ministry capacity. It's about lives. It's about people. And I want to thank you for making your commitments. We started a year and a half ago in a three-year process. I want to give you some update on that, though, because uh, a three-year process, and we're, we're finishing the entire project this October. They're telling us we'll, we're going to go for CO mid-October, and uh, so we'll try to occupy it as quick as we can. The challenge that, that we're, we, we face in that, and, and I'm just going to, here it is, transparency. The challenge we face in that is over three years, we've made commitments. We're a year and a half in. This year alone is our major cash outlay. I mean, we've got some significant outlays of cash coming between now and mid-September with, with all the furniture, fixtures, equipment, parking upgrades, and roof upgrades, things like that. And so we're, we're going forward with that. Um, and so what I want to ask you to do, if you made a commitment, I'm not asking you to do anything above your commitment. What I'm asking you to do is pray about something. Pray about 
giving between now and September, that would be towards the end of your commitment. So it would come off the end. I'm not asking you to do more. And then if you never made a commitment to one church and you're new to the creek and this is your church home and you want to be a part of this, I'm going to ask you to pray about doing a one-time gift between now and and middle of September, Um, a one-time gift towards this this one church and be a part of that. And so um, we're going into that space. We're giving God the glory. We're trusting him. Everything he does is enough. And he's been able to give us some clarity and wisdom on being, being able to say, let's do the roof. I mean, that's a smart decision. Let's do some parking. And so I'm excited that we get to do that. We, we get to do all that because you're faithful, obedient, and generous. So thank you for that. Um, grab your Bible. Go to Luke chapter 13. We're in the series called Are We There Yet? Are you liking this series? Yeah? Okay. Some of y'all. It's a tough series. I just got to admit. It's a tough series. Um, today's not going to be any different. Um, and so Jesus gets into a conversation with, with, some, with a religious guy, and uh, Luke, Luke 13, and, and where this whole series, Are We There Yet?, is coming from, is living in the light of Jesus coming back. See, in John 14, Jesus was telling the disciples, hey, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to go, I'm going to die, I'm going to be resurrected, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to go prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will also come back for you. And so the reality is when we submit our life to Christ through faith and we receive that grace, then, then we're going to see Jesus again. Um, we will either see him one of two ways. When, if we pass away before he comes back, then we close our eyes on this side of attorney. Immediately we open them in the presence of Jesus and, and we're with him in his kingdom. Um, or if he comes back, then we will meet him in the air. We'll see him. So either way, those who have put their faith in Christ will, will be reunited with Jesus and we will live in, a, in heaven and eternity with him. Um, and so this series is all about how do we live in light of that truth? You know, because there's a lot of times on, that we go through struggles, we face these things and we're like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And we, we know we're not. And today, Jesus gets asked a question by a religious guy. It's like, are we there yet? And Jesus basically responds this. We're not there yet, and you're not going to like what you see when you get there unless something changes. Um, and so uh, Luke chapter 13, verse 22, he, Jesus, went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. So, so when it says toward Jerusalem, Jesus had set his face towards Jerusalem, that Jesus knew his purpose, knew his mission, and, and he had gathered disciples, he had, he, and he's coming towards the end of his ministry, end of his time, and so he's, he's very focused, and he's pursuing this, this journey towards Jerusalem. Everything gets more, more intense at this point. And so he's made his decision, he's set his face, and someone said to him, Lord, will those who, saved, who are saved be few? Now, I don't know if you're like me, but Sometimes I get a little scared to ask a question in a group context because I'm worried that somebody's going to think it. They may not say it, but they may think that's a stupid question. And then, so I won't ask my question. But then a few minutes later, I, I know that somebody will think it because somebody asks a question like, that's a stupid question. <laughs> you know, we all do it. I mean, don't judge me, please. Um, we all do it. And so when you look at this context, Jesus is teaching, and a guy says, Lord, will those who saved be few? On the surface, they're like, this is a stupid question. I mean, this guy's trying to get an idea of size and scope of the kingdom of heaven. And to understand some background and context, that 
that the Pharisees, the religious leaders and the scribes, those that were knowledgeable in the law and could argue and articulate the law, the Old Testament in particular, would have these debates and they had a theological question on how big is heaven? How big is the kingdom of God? And who's in? And so you, you would think that, that Jesus is going to just deal with the question directly. Jesus could have answered the question directly. He could have given a total number of those that are going to be saved. I mean, he doesn't have to wait and see. He, he, God stands outside of time. He knows. And so instead of Jesus answering directly his question, he, he, asks, he really gets them to consider this. Instead of worrying about anybody else's salvation, how about worrying about yours? Maybe the question isn't how many will be saved. The question is, am I saved? Because if you notice in, in, in Christianity or even in, in church and in, in religion in general, we can get into this mindset that uh, we're so focused on everyone else's standing with God that we neglect our own. You ever felt that way? That we're so concerned about somebody else following Jesus that we miss out on our, on our own. You know, it, it's, it's why we, uh, on our serve teams, we really want to work in some balance and help you with, with, with taking Sabbath rest because it's easy to serve in the kingdom and never partake of the kingdom. So you're giving out, but you're never receiving. It, it's the waiter who dies of starvation. He's carrying food all the time to other people, but he's never feeding himself. And we can get in this context where we're so concerned about figuring out where everyone else stands. I mean, we do it We do it in a spectrum of ways. Some is more judgmental than others. I mean, sometimes we're like, I saw what they posted on Facebook. There is no way, no way. I mean, they say they're a Christian, but oh my gosh, did you see them? And we get so concerned about policing everyone else's spirituality that we've just neglected ourselves. And we end up shriveling up spiritually. And so Jesus is like, the, the bigger question that we got to wrestle with is this. It's not how many are going to be saved. And he, he's like, are those who saved going to be few? So he's trying to get a scope of the kingdom. But Jesus is going to tell him, you, you, need to, you got some, some reflection to do. Because Jesus said, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and not be able. This word strive is where we get our English word agonize. And I find it interesting that Jesus doesn't answer his question directly. He says, strive to enter the narrow door because many are going to think they're going through it, but it's going to be a few. And so he's saying, enter the fight, enter the engagement, enter the struggle for your faith. And I think this is interesting that he says agonize because we start to think, so there's a fight associated with our faith? Yes, those people that you're praying for that you, you love and you want to see come into a relationship with Jesus. Not, not you want them to get religion. You want them to get straightened up. You want to see them come into a relationship with Jesus. When you start praying for them and then you start inviting. And I've, I've stood in the lobby with so many of you where you've said, hey, I've been praying for my neighbor. I invited them to church and they said they're coming today. And we stand in the lobby because I want to meet them. And you're excited they're coming. And, and, and then I have to come in because service is starting, but I see you come in and you're, they're not with you. And I see that look on your face. You're like, man, I've been praying for them and I've been inviting them, I've been trying to talk to them, and they just didn't show up. And so you, you follow up with them and you find out that all hell broke loose in their house that morning. 
that they're trying to get ready for church. They told you they'd come, and just everything comes against them. Do you think that's coincidence? No. We have an enemy that is trying to fight against us to keep us from crossing that threshold and that narrow door. We have an enemy that will do everything he can to drag us out of there, to get us out, to keep us from entering in a relationship. So those people that you're praying for, there's a fight on your hands. And we don't fight with people. Ephesians 6, 12 says, our fight is with, against rulers and principalities and, and things of, of these, these, these present darkness that we have to stand in opposition, that we have to agonize, we struggle, we enter the fight for those people around us that we're praying for. And so many people, so many people think that once they cross that threshold, the fight's off. Once I make a declaration of faith, the enemy leaves me alone. Um, let me give you a real world example. Wednesday, we celebrated our nation's birthday, our nation's independence. You know what happened in our nation's history? The declaration of independence happened before the fight. When we put our faith in Christ and we cross that threshold, we've declared our faith. We've been made righteous, but the enemy's gonna still come after him with, after you with everything he's got because he, he, he thinks in this way. If I can't get you out of the kingdom of heaven, if I can't steal your eternity and I can't steal your salvation, then I'm gonna put so much pressure and oppression on you that I'm gonna render your life totally ineffective for the kingdom of God. I'm gonna make it as hard as I can on you so you'll do nothing of benefit for the kingdom of God. And the people who are watching your life to say, hey, that man, that woman, they claim to be a Christ follower. They've submitted their life to Jesus, but I see how difficult their life is. And if there is a God, there's no way he can be good because I see how much his people are struggling. That's what the enemy is gonna come after you with. And Jesus is saying, you strive in this. It, you, you agonize, you enter this struggle, you fight for it, you pursue it. And he says it's, it, it's something that's very intentional that you have to track with. And he says uh, in verse 25, when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I don't know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and taught in your streets. So he says, you're gonna give all these excuses but he will say, I tell you, I don't know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. I don't know you. And we're gonna, he says, it's, you're gonna come up with excuses because right now, see, that door is narrow, but it is open. And there will be a moment when that door is shut. At that moment, it's too late. And he says, you're gonna find yourself on the outside looking in and say, let us in. He's going, I don't know who you are. And you're going to say, wait, wait, but, but, but we were around you. He goes, that's an excuse. But we, we ate with you. That's an excuse. But I heard your teaching. That's an excuse. You know about me. You don't know me. You're around me, but you're not found in me. And, and he says, there's no excuse that will hold up in that moment. And he says, then it's going to be too late. You notice people come up with some amazing excuses for being late. I have a mentor of mine that taught me the three reasons why people are late, and my staff knows them. The first reason somebody's late, it's an act of God. There's an emergency, tornado, hurricane, flood. There's an, it is an act of God. 
Highway 35 is not an act of God. <laughs> it's an act of hell. But um, the second one is poor planning. You just, you just didn't plan for this. And the third one is, is most off-putting is you just don't care. I had a friend, notice I say had a friend, um, who could not be on time for anything. And we went to visit them once. And uh, he said, and we went to church. We did, they, they had a Saturday night service. And he said, hey, I've got to do meet and greet after church. Um, you, guys, you and Heather go on to the restaurant, get us a table. We'll be there, like, just quick meet and greet, and then we're gone. All right, so we go to the restaurant. Three hours later, they show up. Oh, I was, because I was hungry. I, I was eating. Yeah, I left him the bill. Um, but I don't hang out with them anymore. Because either you didn't plan right, or I was in the same city. There was no natural disaster. There was no act of God. So either you didn't plan right or you didn't care. If you don't care about our relationship, we ain't going to have a relationship. And what Jesus is saying is that there's no excuse that's going to stand up, that's going to hold water when you get to that moment, when it's too late and you say, now I want in. Now I care. Now I want to plan for this. And Jesus goes on. He says, it's going to be a rough day for you. It's going to be an agonizing day because in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's an agonizing situation. It's a terrible situation when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. That section would be absolutely revolutionary to the audience hearing it. That would, the audience would have people who were Jews that had a belief, and he's speaking primarily to the unbelieving Jews that you think you're in the kingdom. See, there was an assumption that the, 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 the Jews made based on the kingdom of God. That assumption was, because I am physically related to Abraham, I am automatically in the kingdom. Because the promise given to Abraham was, through you, I will make a great nation, and through you, I will bless all the nations of the world. So there was a feeling that because I'm related to Abraham that I'm one of Abraham's children, that I'm automatically in the kingdom. And not only am I automatically in, I'm exclusively in, and anyone outside of the Jewish nation was out. Considered Gentiles, you're out of the grace of God, you're outside of the love of God, you're outside of the mercy of God, you're outside of the hope of redemption, you're on the outside. And there was such a looking down and feeling of superiority that they would look at them and say, you're so inferior to me that I need to go before you in all things. And so what Jesus is saying is very revolutionary. That's gonna be a rough day for you when you look from the outside in and see all these fathers of faith and that their faith brought them into the kingdom because they believed God and it was credited to them as righteousness. There was a faith, there was a trusting, there wasn't an assumption. And then these people from the north, south, east, and west, that's the Gentiles coming in. So it's gonna be an even rougher day because you're gonna see the people that you put last, you put on the bottom rung of your social ladder and they're gonna be ahead of you and they're gonna be in and you're gonna be out. And Jesus is going straight to the heart of the matter. It's not about how many or few are going to be saved, but it's the condition of your heart and your salvation. 
And what is happening in this moment with Jesus when he's teaching this is this truth. That door is narrow, but it's open. And the truth of today, that door is still narrow, but right now, it is still open. And so we need to be concerned about where our heart is in context with this. That door won't be open for too much longer. Who knows how much longer? It could be today. It may not be closed in our lifetimes. None of us may see the return of Jesus, but when we die, we will see him, those who put our faith in him. So what are, what are some of the excuses that we have? What are some excuses that scripture deals with that kind of works at us against crossing the threshold, against taking that step of faith through that narrow door. Uh, this first one's a little, it's gonna be a little difficult to explain, so I need you to bear with me on this, but salvation is not easy. Salvation is a simple message. It's that Jesus Christ is the son of God. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect, sinless life, and he was our payment, our penalty for sin on the cross of Calvary. He absorbed all of our sin. He is the payment for our sin. He was laid in a borrowed tomb. He was resurrected on the third day. That power of the resurrection is what brings us life, hope, reconciliation, and redemption today. It's a simple message. It's a free gift. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It is a gift given by the grace, mercy, and goodness and kindness of God to all those who ask for it. But it is not easy. What do I mean by that? This narrow door concept. Jesus also said in Matthew chapter seven that, that he didn't say door, he said gate in Matthew. He said, wide is the gate that leads to destruction and many will follow that. But narrow is the gate, narrow is the door that leads to life and few will find it. What, what does that mean? It, it, it's that just life, just the world does not have an ebb and flow that leads you and I into accidentally having a, a life-saving, soul-giving relationship with Jesus. There's an intentionality that has to happen in that. The way of the world is an enticing into things away from things that are righteous and holy. I mean, it's, it's the marketing system of the enemy. You and I are born into a broken system, and the marketing system of the enemy is to keep us in that brokenness. It's like the infomercials. I'm a sucker for infomercials. Heather, man, she, she, she gets on to me with it. Like, I, I want the world's greatest wheelbarrow. <laughs> right now, what I really want is that knife sharpener that you can slide a credit card through three times and slice a tomato with. You know, is that debit, credit, or tomato? I don't know. <laughs> So, uh, and the copper pans. I want the copper pans. Moment of tension in Heather and I's marriage. I will share this with you because we've worked through it. She got her way, I submitted. Um, moment of tension. Heather cooks, I do the dishes. That's our, that's our deal. She throws down some awesome food and I will scrub the pans and I will do the dishes. Moment of tension was one night I'm scrubbing the pan and I flip it over to rinse it, and I see these words that sparked great tension in our marriage. Dishwasher safe. <laughs> Almost 20 years I've been doing this by hand. 
And you're telling me it can go in the dishwasher? Because you're not putting that in the dishwasher. Why? It's safe. She goes, they won't last as long. Then we'll buy the copper pans, you know? I mean, I got a solution for everything. But, but that's the way the world draws us. The world is always saying, this is what you want to pursue. This is the appetite you want to feed. This is the desire that is best for you. This is who you are. This is how you are. And, and we have, it's an intentional decision. It's what Jesus said in Luke 9, that if you want to come after me, then you take up your cross. You deny and die. You deny yourself. So these appetites that the world says, this is what you want to fill your soul with, what you want to fill your life with. To deny that says, that's not going to fill me. That's going to leave me more hungry, more thirsty than when I started that pursuit. And Jesus says, you take up your cross, and daily you make this decision. Every day when I get out of the bed, I've got to make a decision that says, God, I'm submitting to you today. I'm going to pursue you with everything I've got. Help me to not fulfill my own desires, my own appetites, but to pursue you and holiness in every way I can. And most of the time, by lunchtime, I have to remake that commitment. But that's what he said. It's, it's, not, it's not an easy thing following Jesus. And we get into some of the things about following Jesus. I mean, one of them is we live with this false sense of security. This audience, this Jewish audience had a false sense of security that their faith, their hope, and everything was in who they were. It's, the kingdom of God is not about who you are. It's about whose you are. And it's that declaration, that submission by faith to receive that grace our security only comes through Jesus. Even in the struggles and fights that our faith brings, that's the most security we will find is in, in, in Jesus Christ. Even if you're in the most difficult, dangerous place on the face of this planet, if you're there in the will of God and out of obedience and submission to him, then it's the safest place that you will ever be. Our Nicaragua team showed me an update this morning. And we do some church planning and mission trips in Nicaragua. And there's a lot of civil unrest going on in, in, the, in the country right now. And there was a Facebook uh, update from one of the pastors that said, pray for us. Um, we're, we're canceling services and activities today because um, the mercenaries um, have come into our area to do a cleaning. And he said, we can hear the automatic gunfire going on all around us. And I'm reading this. I mean, I'm, feeling, I'm starting to get tensed up. He says, but, but our God is greater. And the safest place we can be is in his hands. Regardless of gunfire, regardless of what's going on around us, the safest place is right in the middle of where he's called us to be. That's the only security we've got. And we base our false insecurity off. Most of the time, it's a religious act. Well, I do this checklist I go to church sometimes. I give, I serve, I do some, I do some stuff. I'm, I, 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 or we bank our security in this. I'm a good person. I, I know me better than anybody. There is not enough good in me to even fake righteousness. When we start trying to fake our righteousness, it leads us into pride. Pride is a tough one. I mean, pride is one of those things where, where the, the one who gave us life and breath and sustains us and holds us in his hand, when we swell up with pride, 
He says, I'm coming against you. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud. Here's what God's saying. Matt, son, if you're going to step and walk in pride, then, then brace yourself like a man because I'm coming at you like a linebacker. He says, I, I want that torn down. And in order for us to cross that threshold through that narrow door into faith, it takes pride being torn down. It takes humility. You know, the, the whole um, camel going through the eye of a needle. Most of us like to read that scripture because Jesus was teaching one time and he said, he said, it's easier for the camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich men to enter the kingdom of heaven. And we, we, we find our, some comfort in that because like, oh, I ain't rich. <laughs> can, I, can I challenge you for a minute? If you make more than 50 bucks a month, you're in the top 1% of the world's wealth. That verse just got real. So what does that mean? Some scholars say it's a physical sewing needle that Jesus is talking about and a camel. So you can't be David Blaine enough to make that camel pass through that eye of the needle. What does it take? It takes a miracle. A miracle is what is required from God to make that camel go through that needle. And some scholars debate that. They said, no, no, it's not, a, it's not an actual needle in a camel. It's, it's in, in, in the ancient world, in the first century, and even ancient Mesopotamia, when they would build a city, they would fortify it with a wall, and in that wall would be a main city gate. Within that gate would be a smaller gate. So if they didn't want to open the main gate, you could go through the smaller gate, and its nickname was the eye of the needle. And so some scholars say, well, for a camel to get through the eye of the needle, they would have to get the camel on its knees and have to kind of crawl it through this gate called the eye of the needle. I don't care which one you subscribe to. Here's the reality of salvation. It takes a miracle from God to change us from death to life, and it takes us humbling ourselves under the grace and mercy of who Jesus is. And pride will block that every time. And God says, we got to deal with that. The fourth excuse Jesus gives us in, in Luke 13, verse 34, when he's, he's, he's lamenting over the city. He looks out, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I mean, he is torn up. He said, you who stone the prophets who were sent to you. The ones who I have sent to prepare you for the message and the hope and the grace of the kingdom of God, you're killing them. How often would I have gathered your children like a mother hen gathers her chicks under himself? But here's the excuse. But you were not willing. Jesus says, I can't do anything with your unwillingness. Now, we can, we can get outward obedience. I mean, uh, Isaiah 119 is a verse that I've stood on for a long time that says, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. And I wrestled with that for a while. I was like, well, wait a second. Um, um, if, if, if I finally come into obedience, then there has to be something in my willingness that bends for me to be obedient. And God challenged me on that. He said, no, 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 you can be, you can be obedient but not willing. You can be externally obedient but not have a willing heart. 
I mean, there's a story of a mom that was telling her, her kid to sit down in church. And he, she said, sit down, honey. He goes, no. She said, sit down, please. He said, no. She said, you're going to sit down right now. He said, no, I'm not. Well, she sat him down. And then she looked at him and said, thank you for sitting down. And he looked back and he goes, I'm standing on the inside. <laughs> no, if I'd have said that to my mama, I would have a sore backside and I would wish I could stand. I'm sorry, we can't do that anymore. I'd be in timeout thinking about what I did. <laughs> How I got to timeout would be a different story. Uh, but we can have this forced obedience externally, but not a willing heart. That's why Jesus is so concerned with our heart. That's why he says, guard it. It's the wellspring of life. That's why Jesus says, you know, you've heard it said, but I tell you, there's matters of the heart that are vital for us, that it takes a willing heart that's submitted to the grace and the mercy of Jesus. We have to be willing to walk in obedience in order for us to walk in this, this blessing and walk in this life, that it's not just an external outward obedience that Jesus is asking us to do. That's why he said to the religious leaders, go figure out what I mean when I say this. I desire mercy instead of sacrifice. What he's saying is your external act of doing all of these things means nothing to me if your heart isn't in it. Jesus is teaching us that that. In order for you to go through this narrow door, there has to be a willingness to humble yourself, submit yourself, to deny yourself, to enter into this life. So what's the, what, what's the answer in this? It goes back to what Jesus said. He said, strive. Work it. Struggle with it. It doesn't mean we work for our faith and work for our salvation. It means we are willing to put in the striving, the agonizing, because you know what? I don't know if you've gone through this where you've had to um, submit or, or crucify one of your desires. It's not easy. It's agonizing. And Jesus is saying, come on, enter in to this struggle. Step across that threshold of faith. And it's not just an external list. I mean, think about it. You, you're here at church, so you, good for you. You could check it off a list if that was, that was where your heart is. What's our motivation for coming to church? It's not to get God off our back. My motivation for coming to church is this, to be in the presence of God with you. Because I receive incredible encouragement from you. And I hope that you receive encouragement from me, that it's a, a beautiful giving, taking, two-way relationship. That we gather together. And so we strive together. And I wanna, I'm gonna, if you've never put your faith, if you've never stepped across that threshold of faith, then in a minute, I'm gonna give you that opportunity. Because I believe for many of you today, today is the day that a relationship gets secured, that your place at the table in the kingdom of heaven gets reserved. And I'm going to pray for you. And for some of you, you may have given your life to Christ. You may be a Christian. You may have submitted to faith. And I'm going to 
ask you and challenge you to take the next step. Because if you want a soul-giving, soul-filling, life-abounding relationship with somebody and you invite them over, you don't open the door and just have them stand at the threshold and think you're going to build and develop this great relationship. Where are you going to be? You're going to be around the kitchen island. And there will be chips and salsa. That is holy. I'm going to ask you to take a step from the threshold farther in. What, what, what do I mean by that? It's your next step of faith. What is it? I, that's for, for you and God to work out. For some of you, your, your next step of faith may be this. It may be just moving past the idea and excuse that church is just something you do to keep God appeased to taking a step to say, I'm going to make this a place of belonging, of relationship building and I'm going to do it regularly. For some of you, it might mean that you're going to take that step in obedience and faithfulness with your finances. That you've always heard people talk about giving to God, but, but that's been their thing, but that might be the next step God's challenging you with. It might be serving somewhere. And it's not about church attendance, it's not about serving, and it's not about giving. Although as a pastor, I'm a proponent of all of those. But it's for you to be connected and engaging in the family. And and when you serve, it's not so a position gets filled. Do you know I hear often that the only hug that somebody gets in a week is the one they get walking through our doors? That's sad. The only time someone is told they're loved with a genuine heart is when they come here. It's sad. That's the reality of it. When you serve, it's not to fill a position. It's so someone knows they're loved and they're, they have a place. When you give, you don't give to the creek. You're given to God by means of the creek. Heather and I were the first ones that gave into this ministry financially when we launched eight and a half years ago. And I never once have given to the creek. I've given to God. And it goes through the creek. And those of you who give faithfully and obediently to the creek or to God through the creek, I want to thank you for trusting us with it. If you don't trust the church, give it to somewhere else. But it's not about the dollar. It's about, it's about a statement, a declaration that says, God, I trust you with everything. And so I'm asking you to pray and be challenged about taking that next step. God will make that abundantly clear. He will show that to you because he desires to draw you farther in in this relationship. Let me pray for us. Um, If you have never placed your faith in Jesus, you've never stepped across that threshold, now is that opportunity that I was talking about a few minutes ago. And I want you to pray and I I will help lead you and my words aren't gonna save you. My words can be used as a guide but it's not the words that save you. It's your heart being humbled and submitted and honest before God. And with that honest, humble and submitted heart, I, I, I just want you to say out, 
to Jesus and in your quiet space, just say, Jesus, I, I believe that you died for me and I believe that you rose again. I don't understand it yet, Jesus, but I believe that you love me so much that you were willing to do this for me. And I'm asking you, Jesus, to save me, forgive me. I'm giving you all of me for all of you. I'm making a declaration today, Jesus, that you're my savior, my redeemer. And I'm stepping across that threshold. I'm asking you to lead me and guide me in this life that you so desire for me that's greater than I could ask for or greater than I could imagine on my own. I'm asking you, Jesus, to bring peace to me in the struggles and to bring hope when I face darkness. Thank you, Jesus, for making me new. Thank you for your miracle of life salvation thank you I believe by the faith that you give me that your grace has just washed me and made me new and I commit to walk all the days of my life pursuing you if that was your prayer I want you to do something I'm going to ask you to take a significant step across that threshold in a minute Alex is going to close this service and our prayer team is going to be at the front. I want you to come to them and just say, hey, I just, I, walk, I came through the door. They'll know what you mean. And they're going to love you. They're going to pray with you. They're going to agonize with you. They're going to struggle with you and struggle for you and to help you understand this life, this kingdom that you've just entered into, this hope and redemption. Welcome to the family. Father, I thank you for salvation. I thank you for grace. I thank you, Jesus, that you're so concerned with our hearts. And I pray for those in this room that that are hungering and thirsting for the next step, that you make it abundantly clear. Just light it up with revelation to show them what that next step is. Give them the courage to take it, the humility to take it. Save us, Jesus, from excuses. Redeem us from pride and unwillingness. And we submit everything we are to you. Jesus, you are everything in our life and everything we do, we desire to do for your glory and your glory alone. We love you. Amen. I love you guys. God bless y'all. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast. Or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at thecreekfw.com.